0: If you have a Bible, turn with me now to the book of Colossians, please. And if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath some of the chairs around you. Turn to page 1167 in that Bible. Colossians chapter 3 is where we are today. Last week, if you were here, I started a new sermon series entitled Gospel-Centered Living. Um, The reason that I wanted us to work through this series this fall is that the question is on many of us, and that is, Okay, I know the gospel up here, but what difference does the gospel really make in my everyday life? I mean, what difference does it make in my marriage, in my family, in my work? How can the gospel help me to overcome my bad habits and get on top of some of my old sinful patterns? Um, How can the gospel empower me to live for the glory of God instead of, For my own self-interest? Those are some of the questions that I know we ask. And the answer is the gospel can do all of that. The gospel can indeed make a big difference in your practical everyday life. And so today we're going to talk about gospel-centered relationships. It goes right along with our focus today on growing together. So let me read Colossians 3 beginning in verse 1 down through verse 17. Hear carefully, please, the word of God. since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I've often thought that one of the most amazing things about heaven is that when we get there, we'll all really love each other. I don't know if you've heard the little ditty that used to be popular some years ago. To live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with the ones we know, well, that's a different story. You know, why is it? Why is it? That the very people who have been loved so well by God often have a hard time loving each other. It's very strange, but true, and I think I know why that is. It's because we don't always live out of the gospel. I talked last week about what it looks like to have a God-driven life. We don't always live the God, the gospel-driven life, do we? We don't always live out of the love of God. Rather, we often live out of fear and of pride. Often fear characterizes our thinking and our attitudes. Fear makes you be less than honest with each other. It turns you into a chameleon. It makes you suck up to others. Fear makes you feel inferior to other people. It makes you play it safe. It makes you conceal and hide your true feelings from people instead of being yourself. And because you're afraid of what people think about you when you're fearful, you hide. When you're hiding, you're not loving. And then take pride. Pride makes you feel superior to other people. It makes you need to be right. Pride makes you petty. Petty and critical, and sarcastic, and negative. Pride makes you put down other people and focus in on your faults, on their faults. And pride, too, is a form of hiding. It's just a cover-up for some kind of insecurity. You can't have a relationship with somebody. Not really. You can't love somebody. Not really. When fear and pride keep getting in the way. So how can you and I... Begin again to have loving relationships with people at work, at school, in your family, and here at church. Especially when you know that some of those people are not very lovable or not very lovely. How can we here at UPC make sure that growing together is not just a sign on the wall, but it's a reality that people see and experience? Here's the answer. It's by knowing who we are and being who we are. That's the key to having gospel-centered relationships. First, you have to know who you are. See this little chart? It all springs out of that. When you know who you are in Christ, when you really are settled with your identity In the gospel, then you can be who you are. And one of those things you can be is a loving person. But if you cut off the knowing who you are part, you can't be loving. You will give in, instead, you will give in to fear and pride. And that will just cut off any kind of loving relationship you might have. So let's talk about first knowing who you are. You know, the truth about it is that many of us do not know our real identity. Identity is a real issue these days, isn't it? I was sitting at my computer the other day and I could not remember my login name for a particular website. I was racking my brain. I was trying to remember and I tried all the different combinations you know, that I've come up with over my lifetime. None of them worked. And now not only do you have to remember your login name, but now on many websites you have to remember the answer to some of these stupid security questions that they want to ask you. Things like, uh, what was the name of your first pet? Well, I don't remember. I, I had so many, you know. Or what was your high school mascot? Now that I do remember well. But what was the middle name of your mother's favorite left-handed teacher in elementary school? I don't know. What a stupid question. Well, the same thing happens with our gospel identity we can easily lose sight of knowing who we are in Christ. And when that happens, we cannot love well. Colossians chapter 3 is given to us partly to remind us of who we are. It's one of the best chapters that you could read when you forget your real identity. And now in this chapter, Paul is going to tell us three things about our identity, who we are. You are a new person, a loved person, and a connected person. So let's dive in. and I want to show you about your identity. If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, here is going to be on this chart who you are according to Colossians chapter 3. First, you are a new person. You're a brand new person. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says in verse 9, "...do not lie to each other since..." Now notice this part. "...you have taken off your old self with its practices..." And have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying that the old you is like a worn out coat. Now this is why I brought this along. This is my, as as Jonathan said, this is my letter jacket from high school. And I'm going to represent this as the, the old me. And the Bible says here in Colossians 3 that the old me has been taken off. It says in verse 9 that you've put it off, you've taken it off, you've put it aside, and you've thrown it away into a box marked good riddance. And the problem is that when we forget that, when we forget that that's who we are, that we are new, then we try to put on the old you again and act like that. And look, it doesn't fit. Now, I'm just as muscular, though, as I ever was. The old you, the old me, is, is like this old coat. And in Christ, I've taken it off. You see, the moment that I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the moment I turned away, admitted the truth about myself, and asked Jesus to come into my life and forgive me and wash me clean in his blood, that very moment, Colossians 3 says, I took off the old me and I threw it away. I put it aside. And that word is a very strong word. It means to fully put off. I have fully put off the old me with no possibility of going back to it, though I often try. Now, it hasn't disappeared. You notice the old you is still around. It's hanging around out there. And it still wants to get back on you again. But... The truth of the gospel is that the old you does not fit you any longer. It does not define you anymore because you've put on a new self. You've put on the new you and the new you is you. It is you. Now, you don't feel new many days, but the truth is that when Jesus looks at you, he sees his righteousness. That's the new you. See, when you trusted Christ, you put on or God put on you the righteousness of Christ so that when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Now Jesus defines you. God sees you, if you're a Christian, as a righteous person. It's not a fiction. It's true. He sees you as a righteous person, a good person, a holy person. And I know you don't feel very good many times, but that's who you are. And you must rehearse the gospel truth about who you are over and over again. Because the old you is not you. You are a new person, a new creation. And it says there in verse 10 that every day you're being renewed by God the Holy Spirit. He is sanctifying you. He's making you better. And that's the truth. Not only then... First, are you a new person? But the second thing that you need to know about your real identity is that you are a loved person. You are a loved person. Look at verse 12. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Friend, in the Old Testament, those are words that God used to describe Israel, his chosen nation. Chosen Holy, dearly loved. Those are all words that Paul, being a Jew, knew so well, used to apply to Israel, and now they apply to Christians. They apply to you. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 6 says that you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the nations on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. Don't you love thinking about the fact that you've been chosen by God? I remember when I was a kid, and many of you had the same experience, we used to divide up teams. And I was not a real good baseball player. So I remember the day when Snowball hucks. See, in my hometown, back in those days, we had a nickname for everybody. I, my friends were Worm and Wad, and I had a friend named bucket. I feel so sorry for that guy. How is he doing today? But anyway, we had these nicknames, and one of my best friend's nickname was Snowball because he had a lot of... White, uh, uh, curly hair. Snowball Hux was the greatest baseball player on earth to my mind at the time. And we divided up teams and Snowball looked over at me and he picked me. Me, of all people. He picked me to be on his team. I'll never forget it. God, the maker of the universe, the designer of all things, the Lord of glory, chose you to be on his team to be in his family, long before God created the universe. He chose you if you're a believer in Jesus this morning. You were then and you are now the object of God's affection. He has always carried your name on his heart. He has relentlessly pursued you throughout your life with sacrificial love. He knew you before time began. And though he knew you would often fail and fall, he elected you to be his child. He set his love down upon you long before you were born because he wanted you to experience his goodness and his mercy, not because you were so good, but because you were and are his. There's a word for that. The word is grace. That's who you are. A dearly loved child of God. Not only are you a new person and a loved person, but in the third place, you are a connected person. You're a connected person. What does that mean? Well, look at verse 15. Paul says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Look at that again. You're members of one body. You are, all of you, plural. And you individually are a member of the body of Christ. You're connected with other members of the body of Christ. You are a key part of the family of God. We're talking, of course, about the church. What it means is that God adopted you out of your sin and out of your misery and plopped you down in his family and now... Guess what? You have spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and fathers who are there to nourish you and be nourished by you. I love the story we saw in the video earlier from Renee Sarlos. Renee and Ben are in my life group. And she was right. We, the life group, have walked with Ben and Renee for several years through the whole process of their thinking about adoption and then applying for adoption. And then uh, last Wednesday, Wednesday, their adoption finally got finalized. And so little Alex is brought into our life group every Tuesday night and the whole life group just kind of smothers Alex because he is so special not only to Ben and Renee but to all of us. He is a picture of of the adoption that God has given you. You were not in his family at one time. You were a stranger to those promises. You were under the dominion of darkness, and God adopted you, plucked you out of that, and brought you into the family of the son he loves. You're a new... Here's what we are. A new person, a loved person, and yes, a connected person via the grace of adoption that God has given to us. Friend, that is who you really are if you are a believer in Jesus this morning. Okay, now if that is who you are, Paul goes on to say in this chapter to be that person. Be who you are. That's the point of this whole passage. Uh, Thursday night, anybody watch the big game between uh, the Trojans and the Beavers? USC lost to Oregon State. What was it, 27 to 21? Why? It's because they failed to be who they were. USC walked into that stadium number one, ranked number one. Oregon State was not ranked. They're Beavers, for goodness sake. <laughs> Sorry if all of you, some of you are big fans. But they were 25-point underdogs. Nevertheless, they beat USC. Here in Colossians 3, Paul says, don't forget to be who you are. He says in this chapter, you're a new person. You're a loved person. You're a connected person. That's the gospel, see, Now let that gospel identity drive you. Let that good news characterize the way that you relate to other people. People here at church, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, at work, at school. Never forget who you are. And now, once you know who you are, be that person. Let me explain what I mean. You remember I said, first of all, you're a new person? Well, look again at verse 9. On the basis of the fact that you're a new person, Paul says, now, tell the truth. Tell the truth. Look at verse 9. He says, do not lie to each other since, or because, or because you know you're a new person, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Look at that word lie. It is the Greek word pseudomai. Do you hear, do you hear pseudo in that word? Paul is saying, since you are no longer this old you over here, since you are now the new you, since you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ, since you're being renewed in his image day after day, more and more, you can be real. You can be yourself. You can be genuine. You don't have to hide anymore. See, you know why we lie? You know why we stretch the truth and exaggerate and and cover up a little bit? It's because we're trying to look good. You're either scared that you're going to be found out or you're trying to cover up something or you're trying to get somebody to think well of you. But what does the gospel say? You don't have to do that anymore. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to be scared about being found out because God's already found out about you a long time ago and He says, I love you. You don't have to project this image because you know what? You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You're already righteous. So you don't have to try to establish your own righteousness. The gospel says you have nothing more to prove. So you don't have to fake it anymore. The gospel is like a safety net. The gospel says it's safe to come out of hiding. Admit it. Admit who you are. The person who lies, the person who exaggerates the truth, the person who covers up is obviously not believing the gospel. Secondly, remember I said you're a loved person? Well, look at verses 12 through 14 again. If you are a loved person, these verses say, give grace. Give grace. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves, notice this, with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then he says in verse 14, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I heard a couple of days ago about a married couple that had been married for 15 years. And uh, they had begun to have more and more disagreements. I know that you probably don't have that in your home. But they had more and more of these disagreements. And so they wanted to make their marriage work. They really wanted to get hold of that. And so they came up with an idea. They didn't want to argue anymore. So they came up with the idea. Actually, it was the wife's idea. For one month... For one solid month, every time one spouse got irritated at the other, he or she would write it down and drop it in a box. Each person had his or her own box, and on the box was the word false. And so the wife would write down when she got irritated at the husband and put it in his box labeled false, and he would do the same thing. And so they did this for about a month. Uh, This box, you see, would provide a place to... Simply let each other know about those daily irritations. Well, the wife was very diligent about keeping a record. She wrote down, leaving the jelly top off the jar, put it in the box. Wet towels on the shower floor, put it in the box. Dirty clothes not in the hamper, put it in the box. So on and on it went for about a month. And at the end of the month... They both brought out their boxes. The husband went first. He opened his box, started reading all these awful things that he had done all month long. And then it was the wife's turn and she opened the box up and inside were bunches of slips of paper and every one of them said, I love you. I love you. I love you. See, that guy knew who he was, that he was a loved person dearly chosen, loved by God and holy. And so he was able to pass that grace on to his wife. Now, is there a place for confronting people? Of course. Is there a place for letting somebody have it in love? Yes. Is there a place for a good argument in a marriage? Of course there is. Later on down in verse 16, in fact, Paul is going to tell us to admonish one another and the word admonish means warn or correct or uh, or rebuke even and so that's that's true when you have a problem with somebody often you need to get it out you need to talk about it rather than stuff it but you know what most of the time most of the time the things that we get irritated about in other people are not worth bringing up paul says here that we are to be loving kind humble gentle patient with each other we're to be tolerant of each other we're to forgive each other why because that's how god has treated us the person who doesn't want to give people grace is obviously not believing the gospel and third and finally you are not only a new and loved and a new and loved person but we saw also that you're a connected person what does that mean Be who you are, and that means pursue peace. Pursue peace. Look at verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And I love how verse 15 ends. And be thankful. And be thankful. In a church that I used to serve, we had a custodian And he was kind of an old man, and you could tell he was not very wealthy. This was his job, had been his job for many, many years, just sweeping up after our messes. And every time I would ask him, Hey, how you doing, Joe? Joe would say, Thankful. Thankful. What about you? What about you? You know, much of the trouble that we have with people at school at work, at home, and even here at the church would disappear if we just obeyed those three little words and be thankful. See, when you're grateful, you don't make disparaging remarks about other people. When you're thankful for somebody, you don't focus in on their weaknesses and failings. When you're thankful, you avoid criticism. No, you honor people. You celebrate people. You, you praise people. And by so doing, you create peace. Friends, people out there are supposed to look at us Christians and think, that's how the world should be. That's how the whole world should be. Because the church is a new human society where love, respect, and peace prevail. We're supposed to be the place where, as it says in verse 11, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. We might retranslate that verse by saying something like, here there is no black or white. There is no rich or poor, no Republican or Democrat, no white collar or blue collar, no Reformed or Arminian. No, Christ is all and is in all. The only way that's possible is if we be a people who keep going back again and again to the gospel promises. You are new, you are loved, you are adopted and connected into a family. Keep going back again and again to that gospel. Who are you? You're new, you're loved, you're connected. Now go be who you are. Let's pray. Father, would you give us grace to do exactly that? Thank you so much that you have made us new again. You have given us a new self. You have loved us eternally and adopted us and put us into a family. Father, may we live out of that gospel. May we treat each other, our parents, our children, our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers. May we treat them all as those new, loved, connected people ought to.